G'day, g'day, g'day. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Investor Types. We're talking about investing into Australian stocks, the mid to large cap names. So think about the names you see every day, the big companies you use, the names you see advertised on TV or on the side of a building. We're talking to a bloke by the name of Matt Williams, who runs a fund called Early Funds Management. Um, he's been investing into Australian stocks for 24 years and has built up a whole lot of experience over time. We're going to deep dive into what's happened during coronavirus. We're going to look at some specific names. Matt's going to impart some knowledge on us and talk about some companies he loved to own at the end of coronavirus and some industries he loved to be involved in. Um, not only that, we're going to talk about if you're going to invest into these Australian stocks and go hard and build a portfolio, what are some things you have to keep in mind? How, you, how do you value companies and how long do you need to focus on investing for? Now, before we get into the episode, I just want to remind you that all the information here is just general information only. Please don't consider it as personal advice. And if you want to build a stock portfolio for yourself, go and consult your own financial advisor. In saying that, it's going to be it's a great episode with some really insightful knowledge. So tune in, sit down, reach out to me with any questions. Let's get into it. G'day, g'day, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Investor Types. Um, what we're talking about today is we're going to deep dive into investing into Australian equities, but more or less buying into the names of companies you love. And we're lucky enough to be sitting down with Matty Williams, a 24-year veteran into investing into Aussie equities. Matt, thanks for coming on, mate. Thanks, Stefan. Matt, could you tell us a bit about your journey in investing into Australian equities and your experiences? Yeah, so I started uh, in the early 90s, um, basically fell into the into the industry and uh, realized that absolutely loved it. Uh, mm. Loved the variety, loved, uh, uh, loved looking at companies and using your brain. And it's a, you know, it's a real mental challenge and an intellectual challenge. Uh, and there's a, there's a bit of science obviously involved in investing, but, but uh, you can't be a good bit of art and psychology is thrown in there well. So as well, so it's a, it's a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating industry and I've been very lucky, very privileged, I think, to be part of it over the last 24 years. Good. Now, now you're running a portfolio, early funds management. Um, focusing mainly on investing into mid to large cap companies, that's the, it's more or less the names that a lot of Australian people know within Australia. Would yeah. you say that? Yeah, yeah, generally. Uh, so it's the early Australian share fund uh, that myself and co-manager Emma Fisher uh, are running uh, here at Early. And it's, uh, you know, look, we're, we're, pretty, con we're pretty conservative uh, and this is a real kind of core fund. It's, it's, a, it's a fund that's not going to, uh, you know, uh, blow the lights out uh, in terms of, you know, taking big bets that may or may not work. It's basically a core fund. It's a great fund for having for the long term, mm -hmm. for savings. And you just, we're just going to try and own the best businesses in Australia um at any given point and we it's a quite a concentrated fund we're going to have it with 25 stocks mm. uh we're going to be mostly fully invested we're not going to try and uh, time the market so much uh you know our cash limit is about 10 percent. so we just want to own good stocks and own them uh for the long for the medium to long term they say i was reading something the other day they say those who have tried to time the market have normally lost and that's why many people don't try and time the market anymore. It's just all that once you focus on long term, you generally become a winner. Generally, that's right. And I think some people are, are good at it. Um, yep. But I think the Australian market is such that uh, I think on a global basis, it's, it, it can, it's a much easier kind of thing to time. But Australia, I think, is, 
is, is a bit different. Uh, so, you know, we, we prefer to take that off the table and, uh, and own good, good companies. And you, we've all seen those stats, all right, you know, about, you know, if you've missed the 20 best days or the 30 best days mm. in the market over a period of five years, you've missed a lot of the return. And I, I find those stats fascinating uh, because it, is, it just shows you just how hard it is to try and jump in and out of the market uh, with the whims of sentiment. 100%. So, so let's look at some of the volatility that happens in markets and more or less. So we're filming this in July 2020 and there was the D-Day of COVID really hit on the 23rd of March 2020 when the ASX 200 uh, was at of 4,500 points, um, fell from a top of around about 7,100. Now, for those of you who don't know out there, the ASX 200, that's essentially the Australian index or a measurement of Australia's largest 200 companies. And it sort of gives an indication as to where the Australian market's at from a stock's perspective. Now, since that 36% drop, it's risen to approximately 6,000 points, which is a rise of 32%. Um, we'll look at some individual companies because I know you like to buy individual companies. Let's look at one of Australia's market darlings, CSL. Went from a top of 341 down to 282, dropped 17%. Four months later, hasn't changed. Still at 282, hasn't risen a dollar. Um, look at NAB. NAB dropped from $27 all the way down to nearly just below $14, dropped 48%. Since then, it has risen to about $18, $19, risen about 34%. We'll go even further. So we'll look at a mining company. So BHP, which a lot of people know, went from 41 down to 25 so dropped about, dropped about 15%. Then it's risen to 38 So risen, that's a, that's a 52% climb. Macquarie Group. Macquarie Group um, really got smashed during this period, dropped from 151 to 72. It's a drop of 52%. Then in the next four months, it's risen to 124. That's an increase of 72%. Now, these are massive levels of volatility. Um, a lot of these companies, some are back to par, pre-COVID level. Um, others are close to, others are far off. Um, but can you give us some insights from a professional's perspective? What's been happening to the Australian market during COVID? Yeah, look, it's been, you know, in my 24 years, it's been a, you know, I haven't seen anything like this. We've seen similar, you know, down cycles and, and situations, but, uh, you know, this, uh, this situation is worse than the GFC. And unfortunately, it's really touching on so many people, you know, so many people's lives and businesses, uh, you know, unlike the GFC, where I think really it was a financial kind of uh, financial markets real issue, mostly. Uh, this one is really uh, uh, much different and much tougher and, you know, it's, it's really hard for people. Um, in the market uh, that, uh, you know, we've, I don't need to probably, you know, labour the point, you know, we've, there's been heaps written on everything that's gone on. It's been remarkable. You know, the, the fastest bear market has given way to the quickest uh, bull market, mm. uh, leaving us in a, in a situation now where it's a very, you know, as you say, well, here we are back at some of these stocks at par, but you'd have to look out at the operating environment for a lot of these stocks and say, well, hang on, is it is the environment better or worse than pre-COVID? And clearly, the operating environment is worse. So it's quite a tricky period uh, for an investor, and uh, and it but it also goes to, again to show just how you know not doing anything uh, can sometimes be the best strategy. And 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 a lot of what we did in the fund was really uh, during, you know, March 23 when the market hit the bottom, we were adding to our core positions, positions we liked back then, mm -hmm. uh, and not doing much else really 
uh, and uh, that's proven to be, uh, you know, I think the correct correct strategy. Yeah, I think I was I was reading something the other day that if you were to sell out close to the bottom or even you know, halfway down, uh, and you didn't buy back in, you lose you lose so many of your losses for the next few years. And as is, as to your stat before, if you're out for twenty of the up twenty of the up days in a year, you're probably going to make a loss. And that's just holding true. Investing is an emotional game, especially when you start buying individual stocks. Uh, and that's why I've got a lot of clients who prefer to use a manager uh, to invest their money, simply because that emotional roller coaster can magnify your losses. Yeah, that is so true, Stefan. And after I've been through, you know, the, the early 90s recession, the tech wreck of 2000, the GFC, and I guess, you know, you'd hope I've learned something over that period. And <laughs> what you learn to do is, you know, separate your emotions and the sentiment that is out there. And, I, you know, if you remember back to late March, the sentiment was pretty absolutely dire. Mm. But you've got to separate your set, the sentiment from the numbers. Yep. And the numbers were very attractive and telling us, even though, you know, we put some prob- probabilities around just the, the likelihood of the length of the crisis. And even on some of the, you know, more bearish scenarios, the numbers were quite attractive. And then obviously the central banks globally around the world stepped in at that mm-hmm. point. And, you know, that was really the, the sign that uh, they weren't going to let this uh, develop into a full-blown financial crisis and so from then it's just been it's been a one-way a one-way rocket ship upwards yeah what history tells us is that um after huge periods of government stimulus or after big injections of government stimulus markets rally and markets rally hard and we've never seen any sort of government stimulus like we're seeing right now for businesses for individuals so look let's hopefully it gets back to to where it was and the world returns to normal Um, but what's happening right now so a lot of people jump on the bandwagons. They see a stock going up or they see something, the market going up and they go, I need to get involved, FOMO. I don't want to miss out. I want to make sure I get involved. But where are you seeing valuations? And how important is it to, do you think, to value um, a business and buying at a good valuation as opposed to just buying in because it's going up? Yeah, look, I think you're, you're separating their speculation from investing. And speculation is fun, you know. It can, it can be fun and particularly in markets where it just seems to be going one way as it is now. But, uh, you know, one of the great sayings about the market is that it's a, it's a great mechanism for transferring money from the impatient to the patient. Mm. And we like to try and be patient and, and buy things that we, that we can value and can understand. Uh, but there's no doubt, given the, given the, the outlook, uh, valuations seem, you know, don't seem, you know, uh, we, we're, we're struggling to find super attractive opportunities, mm. I, guess is, I guess is what we're saying. Um, you know, the winners out of this crisis uh, coming, you know, in the bull market out of the crisis have been, the, you know, obviously the tech, um, mm. the tech names, uh, particularly the buy now, pay later uh, stocks, uh, the staples, you know, Coles, uh, Woolworths, uh, even Wes Farmers you'd throw in there. And then uh, uh, the mining companies, they, they've, been the, they've been the real winners so far coming out, out of the crisis. And I think the laggards, sort of the more economic sensitive companies, building materials, uh, some retailers that, uh, you know, really struggling. Uh, and obviously the, you know, some consumer discretionary companies, travel, mm. uh, travel companies, uh, you know, those, those companies have been the losers. So when we talk about post COVID, do you think these companies that you've just spoken about, you know, those consumer discretionaries, those building materials, do you think they'll recover as hard or do you feel that those, those businesses, those, 
the tech, the buy now, pay later schemes, those sorts of things, do you think they're the real winners over time? Oh, look, it's hard to say. Uh, I think post-COVID, so let's say COVID is no longer an issue. There's a vaccine or, you know, people feel that we're on top of it and it's, uh, you know, things open up fully. Mm-hmm. Then, look, my number one pick, my number one stock for that period is Qantas. Uh, I think it's the most leveraged to uh, a post-COVID environment where we all start travelling again. Um, uh, you know, international travel opens up. People, you know, they're, they're desperate to go on an overseas holiday. Uh, so that's my number one sort of pick. And we hold that in the fund as sort of the, uh, you know, as, as, part, as a portfolio structure uh, uh, view that we need something that if, if indeed tomorrow a vaccine is, uh, looks more closer than, than it does, you know, right now, then that is the stock to own and we're, we're happy to own that. And they've raised money recently. So the balance sheet, you know, is looking, is looking good. Um, it's just the length of time, I guess, between, uh, between something happening and, uh, and how long these companies have got to operate in a more tougher environment. This is the thing. Um, and investing into stocks, it's, it's a waiting game. It's, it's a long-term approach trying to get in and out really fast. It doesn't generally work for people. Um, if you're going to take that approach, I, mean, I tried to do it when I was younger, uh, when I was in my late teens, uh, thought I could be a day trader. I think I ended up losing money and paying a heap of tax, which I didn't love. Um, but then you look at, all right, well, what makes you, how long do you normally hold a stock for? What's your view? So if you're buying, say, that Qantas that you spoke about, how long do you want to hold it for or any businesses in your portfolio? Yeah, look, it depends on the stock itself. But there's been stocks where I've owned in my portfolios over my career for 20 years. Mm. Uh, one in particular being Reese, the plumbing mm. wholesale uh, company. You know, it's a, it's a, it was the first company I was given as a young analyst to look at. And so it's just held a special sort of place for me. And the fact that it's been an absolute, uh, you know, cracking investment yeah. over 25 years uh, is obviously why it's still in the in the portfolio. Uh, so, and then there's companies like Nick Scarly that IPO'd in 2003. I've owned for uh, since that almost, you know, off and on, but mostly on for that period. Mm-hmm. Mineral Resources it mm-hmm. IPO'd in 2006. It's been in my portfolios uh, again, off and on, but mostly on since since then. Premier Investments. Uh, you know, the, the Solomon Lou retail vehicle, uh, that's been in the portfolio for, uh, I don't know, 20 years. I'd, I'd probably hazard a guess. Wow. So, okay. and it's interesting, like the common denominator amongst all those stocks is that they are, uh, you know, family run or, yep. or, or founder, founder run or founder yep. owned. Yep. So that's interesting, I think. You know, I think you, if, you, if you find a company that's run by someone uh, who's got massive skin in the game. And when I say skin in the mm-hmm. game, like own a lot of the company and they take a l- they take the right long-term decisions. Uh, you look at the Wilson family who've run Reese, they've just made winner after winner of decisions over the last 25 years. Well, they still own so, 70, 70% of the company? They own about 68 at the moment. 68. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they've, they've recently launched into the States as well. So taking that plunge to... Now, end of That's the day, right. if they if they make these investments to go offshore or to change the main structure of the business, they're risking their own money, and exactly. no one likes to lose their own money. Yeah, yeah. So those kind of stuff, those kind of stocks have uh, have been with me for a long time. Mm-hmm. But then there's others where 
Um, yeah, look, it, it depends on what the circumstances of your investment thesis is. They might be in for a year or something. Uh, yeah. It depends on how on how things go. Also, you make you make a decision. You buy a company. You've realised, you know, hopefully you realise quickly if you've made a mistake, mm-hmm. and you exit. You know, I think that's a that's a real skill of investing that uh, has taken me a long time to 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 get on top of. I, I'm still not on top of it really, but yep. yeah, yeah, I'm better than I than I was. Uh, so that's the so it, so yeah. How long you hold a stock for it? It 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 really depends. But hopefully, when you buy a stock, you're thinking at least a two to three year investment. Yeah, and and you look at so CSL, which got listed at I think four dollars in the early nineties, rose, 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 and four or five years yeah. ago it was at one hundred and fifty, and you think, well, this thing has gone so far, so fast. Do you sell? Um, and if you don't need to sell, and you believe in a company, why sell? And then it gets up to two hundred and eighty bucks, and you're sitting there going. Well, that was a roller coaster. This is exciting, um, and you just if you believe in something, you don't need to sell it. Then again, that that's investing, holding on to something for the long term, hoping it really wins. What when you invest in the stock though? So it's it's you can you can either do what your mates say, and um, you can follow what what some experts say. But a lot of people like to go deeper. And a lot of people talk about you know what what financial what financials do you read? What do you really look into? I know you've got a really a four stage approach when it comes to picking certain companies that you love. So you like to focus on four strength, four things, uh, financial strength, management, the business quality, and also the valuation. Um, what makes you pick those four things when you're looking to buying a company? Yeah, this is, that's the process. We've looked at those four things since the early 90s when uh, uh, myself and colleague here, John Sevior, who founded Early, uh, we started investing together. So look, we try and keep it simple. And those four things we've found have kept us basically on the, on the straight and narrow, uh, yeah. it's it's really to help you when when there's big fads in the market. And, you know, think back to the tech crisis, or think think to all the leveraged businesses, uh, uh, the asset traders in before the GFC. You know, the Babcock and Browns and those kind of things. It's basically a process to keep us on the straight and narrow yep. during times of uh, extreme. And so it was not to really not to blow up the portfolio at any at any point. So financial strength for us is a key. You know, we just we just think that you can sleep at night no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. Look, the last ten years since the GFC, financial strength in a company hasn't really mattered. But suddenly, three months ago, it, it matters big time. <laughs> yes, and yep. so it's those periods where where that that test really really comes into the fore. The rest of the tests really really what we're trying to do is find something unique in the business. Why do we own this? What, what's why will this business succeed? Uh, in a, maybe in a competitive industry where others won't. And so we're basically looking for something unique. And an example would be Wes Farmers who own Bunnings, right? And I think Bunnings is a very unique business. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically got that uh, hardware market sewn up. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a fantastic business. Uh, it's just so good. The returns on capital uh, it's uh, I'm, I'm I'm resisting the word dominant or monopoly of anything like that, but uh, it is it it's a Close strong to. business. Let's yeah. just say that I think it's a very strong business. Um, and then I look at something like a mineral resources, and people say, oh, mining services terrible. You know, it's been a graveyard for investors. But mining, but mineral resources has a unique mining services proposition, where it's much more a sustainable. Uh, earning stream as uh, as opposed to the typical mining services company Mm -hmm. so we're looking for we're looking for something unique 
uh, within the you know within these businesses that we can we can go well. This is how value will be created uh, over time, and that's what the other tests really uh, really are about. And sometimes the uniqueness is just a really good strong management team. Uh, you know, and I go back again to sort of Nick Scarly selling furniture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that is a competitive industry. You know, if not one of the most competitive, but because of uh, Anthony Scarly, the CEO, his his unique style, uh, his his growing up growing up in the business, uh, you know that is the unique proposition for that company, and it's been a fantastic investment uh, for nearly twenty years. So that's what we're that's what we're looking for. We're trying to identify that uniqueness in a company. One thing that's so important, as you just said, the management management. It's so hard for an, for an individual like myself to assess the management, and when you don't yeah. sit down sit down with them, look them in the eye, um, but understand their background as well. And and even when it comes to board levels, you know the clash of personalities. Um, I've seen some businesses who have merged into other companies um, and then tried to onboard their board members, and they don't get along with the existing board members, and things can really fall apart. So I think it's it's a it's a crucial part of investing. Understand how a business is run, who runs it. Um, but I want to move on to something else, something I get asked all the time, right? There's two main pillars when it comes to investing into Australian stocks. People invest for dividends. Some people invest for growth. Dividends versus growth. What do you prefer? Yeah, so in a, in a 25 stock portfolio that we run and in Australia where, uh, you know, unfortunately, there's not the, the choice of growth that you can get, particularly, say, in the US market. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got to be a mix of both. You've got mature companies that you want to just uh, pay out the cash uh, and pay a good dividend, a good frank dividend, and that's all you want them to do, really. I think so many Australian companies have have uh, blown themselves up by not being satisfied with that sort of uh, that sort of mission. It's not exciting enough for them, and so they they go and do these big projects, uh, or go and acquire offshore or something, mm-hmm. something, um, and they don't have the skill to do that. Yeah. But look, yeah. I, look. If I ha- if you if you had a choice between, and this this and the example is you've used CSL, you know CSL back at one hundred and twenty dollars, at the time the forward dividend yield was around you know high ones maybe two percent mm. versus Telstra at the time where the dividend yield was six percent. Yep. Now I don't know about you, but uh, give me CSL at one hundred and twenty bucks, <laughs> yielding low. Versus Telstra yielding high, uh, you know, yep. I'll take CSL uh, any day of the week. Mm. So I think that's the, uh, you know, that's where my my foot is in definitely in that camp. Because um, the dividend yield know. stays, if it stays the same, and the, the share price doubles, essentially you're getting double the amount of dividend that you were getting when you bought it. That's right. You're looking for dividend growth. Mm. You know, that's the that's what you'd really like is is growth. Yeah. Uh, dividend growth. Uh, and sustain, you know, if it's if it's there's something behind it. It's not just a uh, it's not just a flash in the pan or a cyclical uplift, but there's something behind it. Yeah, you you take that investment any day of the week over a, just a steady run of the mill dividend payer. I like that. So don't look at something that's paying the big percentage just because it's flashing lights. Typically, they're not reinvesting back into the company well enough. If you can find something that's paying a decent dividend with good growth potential, your dividend's going to grow with the company. And your underlying wealth is going to grow as well. Look, perfect. Um, but so, Maddie, it's been a really interesting conversation. The main 
the main point of this conversation is to help people understand, well, if they wanted to jump into Australian stocks or Australian investments, let's say you've got someone who's a property investor or a property lover out there and they go, I want to start investing into Aussie stocks. Can you tell me what would be their personality type? What would you say to them? What, would, what advice would you give them? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting time in the market right now because there's so many speculators. You know, we've seen all the data, you know, the, the Robin Hood traders in the US and the, yep. uh, the, the, the lucky people who have invested in Afterpay just in the last few months, you know, at mm. the low and have risen at all, you know, rode it all the way up to $70. And so people feel, yeah, there's the FOMO aspect and go, oh, I should be getting a piece of that. And look, that is fun. Speculation is fun and people learn their lessons. But I'll go back to the point that, you know, actually uh, investing is a bit boring, uh, really, because once you find something and, and, and you, you, you own it, sitting on your hands is, can be quite dull. Uh, but it takes discipline. You've just got to, you've got to be able to do that. And again, I go to my great saying, which I love is that, you know, the, over time, the stock market is a mechanism for, uh, for transferring wealth from impatient people to patient people. Mm -hmm. And so when all these day traders and speculators, uh, you know, get washed out of the market, which usually happens at, you know, at this, you know, at a, at, at, in a cycle, mm -hmm. then that money goes to the, goes to the patient investors. Uh, and then they, you know, people, speculators kick the can and they go, oh, they, you know, this is stupid, that market, you know, the markets are, you know, ridiculous and I've lost my money. But really, you know, the market is not about that. It's about investing for the medium and, and longer term, which is actually sometimes pretty boring. Yeah. Well, you look at a lot of the people that have made their wealth around the world, around Australia, it's the people that have been willing to take their time to say, look, it's a long-term approach. Happy to sit here, happy to do, just let, it, let the market do what it's got to do. Um, I couldn't agree with you anymore, Matt. Um, so in saying that, look, I want to say thank you for imparting some of your knowledge on, on me and on the people watching. Um, been really insightful. Thank you so much. So ladies and gentlemen, if, you, if you're thinking about investing into, into names you love, um, and to names you really know, this is partly the conversa conversation for you. Uh, Matt, 24 years of experience. Mate, thanks for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Stefan. Now, for those of you out there, if you've got any questions, feel free to comment on the video. Um, otherwise, feel free to reach out to me, investortypes at gmail.com, and um, I'll get back to you when we can. All right, Matt, take care, mate. Thanks, mate. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Investor Types podcast. What I want to remind you is that everything you heard in this podcast is general advice only. Please don't consider it as personal advice. If you do want to consider it as being personal advice, please go and speak to your licensed financial planner. Everything here is just informational purposes only. Take it as you will. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again for tuning in. See you soon.